So as usual, I've tried to pick out a few things that probably most of the world on YouTube and TikTok and Facebook is not talking about because most of the world is deceived by end times events. Now, I'll preface everything that I'm going to share with you today that this is just a few headlines, a few things that are scratching the surface of some of this stuff. Sounds crazy to you if you're not following me, if you don't know where I'm going with it, then I highly encourage you and lovingly encourage you encourage you to go watch my end time series. That's at danceoflife.com slash end times and learn the truth because ultimately every single end times position out there is compromised. There's some that get a few things right. There's some that get nothing right. And ultimately they all get something wrong. And this is something that I realized when I was trying to learn about the end times. So I spent a very long time researching every single position and came to a narrow road approach to these end times events. But nonetheless, let's get into it. Let's see if this makes you think differently, if it makes you pay attention. But these are some interesting headlines that I saw. And again, I'm following things that probably a lot of people aren't following. So that's my goal is to share these with you. Pope trusts in human wisdom to avoid escalation of war. Let's see what the Pope is thinking. For Pope Francis, a global escalation of the war that broke out in Israel and Palestine, quote, is a possibility but he hopes it does not happen by trusting in human wisdom. We'll see what the Bible has to say about that. Hopefully you already know. Israel and Gaza. Regarding the situation in the Middle East, the Pope affirmed once again, every war is a defeat. Nothing is solved with war. Nothing. Everything is gained with peace. Remember this statement. With dialogue, he continued. Very, very important because the Bible prophesied about all of these things. But let's see what the Bible has to say about relying on your own wisdom. Jeremiah 17, one of countless chapters and verses on this very topic, but let's see what it says. Verses 5 through about 9. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And, it's, and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Probably you knew this one, Jeremiah 17.9. is a pretty popular verse, but look, the point is very obvious. Cursed is the man who makes flesh his strength. The Pope is a new age Pope. He's not, I mean, not that any Pope was good, but this Pope is a new age, bring the world into one world religion type of Pope. Very much like out in the open about it. And one of the things that you know why that's the truth is that he's espousing the lie from the Garden of Eden that you do not need God to be the sovereign over your world. You do not need God to be the one who determines what is good or evil. Actually, you can do that without God. That's the whole point. That's the whole lie of the Garden of Eden. And it's expressed today in so many places through the New Age movement, through personal growth. Look, I used to be a personal growth guru. I've written five books. I, I interviewed over 150 people on my podcast back when it was a entrepreneurial business mindset health podcast. So I know where these things come from. It's, it's the lie from the Garden of Eden. And I thank God for opening my eyes. Because I used to trust in my own wisdom. I used to trust in others' wisdom, in humanity's wisdom. For the Pope who is supposedly the one with the keys to the church, the keys to the kingdom, although the Catholic interpretation of that is wrong, but let's just say it's true. Let's just say the Pope is supposed to be that person. For him to give energy and weight and meaning to exactly opposite of what the Bible says should tell you something. You do not rely on human wisdom. Human wisdom is not going to get you out of anything. It's going to create more sin and more darkness and more death. 
And if you know anything about Bible prophecy, you know that peace will only come, true peace, when Jesus returns. Before that, there will be a false peace. And this is what the world is headed to. But don't trust on your own wisdom and certainly don't listen to the Pope's wisdom either. Let's look at the next one. Holy See calls for just peace in Israel and Palestine. Calling for the protection of civilians in Gaza and the quest for a just peace, Holy See's, the Holy See's permanent observer to the United Nations decreed the fact that, quote, in recent weeks there has been an unprecedented escalation of violence in Israel and Palestine resulting in deplorable levels of suffering. Why does, ask yourself this, again, another thing you need to be asking yourself, and if you're not asking yourself this, then raise an eyebrow, pay attention, open your ears, open your mind. Ask yourself the following question. Why does the Vatican, why does the Holy See have a permanent observer in the United Nations? What does that really mean? If you know your history, if you know how things work, if you know the truth, then you know why that's the case. It's not just an observer, it's because they're the ones in charge of the United Nations. The United Nations, like everything else, is a proxy for the Vatican. But why do they have a permanent observer? Of course, look, I am totally opposed to any war. I'm opposed to the massive casualties that are happening in Gaza. It's just absolutely horrible. Our heart should be going out to those people. It is just absolutely horrible. And also on Israel's side, too, when I'm talking, I'm talking about the actual people being caught up between the propaganda, between, you know, all the agendas. There are real people being sacrificed because of these agendas on both sides. So being partisan is not walking the narrow road that Christ asked us to walk. Christianity in and of itself, is never partisan. That's the whole point. And yet today you have things like Christian Zionism, which we'll get to in a future article. But again, it's look at the quest for peace. Again, if you know your history and you know all the conflict in the Middle East and Islam and how Catholicism created Islam and how Catholicism was also behind the state of Israel through propping up Hitler and how Hitler brought 20,000 Jews to the transfer agreement in the land of Palestine, and how Rothschild, who is also a Zionist Jew, Ashkenazi Jew, basically funded the whole thing through the Balfour Declaration. You have to learn your history, and these things are very controversial, and of course you get called anti-Semitic and all these other you know, pejorative terms, but this is the truth. The truth has always been something that the world doesn't agree with. But if that's the truth, and now what's happening is, oh, we need peace, we need peace, Let's pray for peace. Do you see what's going on? The world is being set up for world peace, for somebody who is a nonpartisan, seemingly nonpartisan, to come in and rescue, for a savior to come and rescue this whole mess. And that's exactly what's happening. And the Bible warned you about it. Warned you about it over and over again. Let's see what this next one says. Pope to European rabbis. Dialogue is the key to peace. There we go again. And these are all recent. Meeting a delegation of the Conference of European Rabbis, Pope Francis highlights the crucial importance of Jewish-Christian dialogue in bringing about peace and justice in the Holy Land and condemns resurgent anti-Semitism in various parts of the world. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. Actually, I'm going to tell you two things about anti-Semitism. Maybe three things. I don't know. We'll see. First and foremost, if you know where that term originated, it originated in the early 20th century with the Bolsheviks. And the Bolsheviks, just like the CIA, created conspiracy theorists to discourage people from questioning the JFK assassination and to denigrate the character of people who were critical thinkers. The same was many decades before that with the Bolsheviks and when they were taking over. And if you were, because guess what? Statistical fact, 90% of the Bolsheviks were Ashkenazi Jews. So anybody who is waking up to what's happening, oh, you're an anti-Semite. But wait a minute. If you look up the definition for Semite, it is a person in the Middle East. It's Arab, it could be Jewish, it could be all manner of people. There's a lot of different types of Semitic peoples. But if you look up the definition of anti-Semitism, it's hatred or prejudice against Jewish people. Wait a minute, how, how does that work? If there's different kinds of Semitic peoples, 
why is anti-Semitic behavior only for one supposed group of Semites? Which, by the way, most Jews today, at least in the United States, are Ashkenazi Jews, which cannot be traced back to a Semitic people. So you cannot claim anti-Semitism if you are an Ashkenazi Jew, because Semitism, Semite, has to do with the populations of the Middle East. There's a specific type of population. Ashkenazi Jews cannot claim genetic heritage to the Semitic peoples of the Middle East. Do you see how silly this is? And of course, the last thing I want to mention is this. Who is the most famous Jewish person in history? If you said Jesus, you're right. Jesus was a Jew. Now, he was an Israelite. We know his lineage from the Bible. But Jesus was a Jewish man. He's the most famous Jewish man in history. And yet, how many people hate Jesus, hate Christians, hate Christianity? Under the definition of anti-Semitism, isn't that anti-Semitic? I mean, Jesus was a Jew. So that's something to think about. And yet here we are talking about anti-Semitism with the Pope. But let's move on. Quote, not, not weapons, not terrorism, not war, but compassion, justice, and dialogue are the fitting means for building peace. Gosh, isn't this like every other day the Pope is talking about peace? He must be the one that we've been waiting for to stop all these dialectics. Believers called to witness and build dialogue. They must therefore be witnesses of dialogue. I wonder what that means. Maybe witnesses of the gospel should be better. The Pope stressed. Indeed, he said, by its intrinsic social nature, humanity is not only capable of dialogue, but is dialogue itself. Gosh, really, doesn't this sound like the snake talking from the Garden of Eden? And it is only in dialogue with the transcendent one... (laughs) whoever that is, and with our brothers and sisters who accompany us that we can understand and mature. Again, New Age Pope, man. This is this is the snake talking. Again, if you don't have eyes and ears, hopefully these little articles in my commentary will help you develop those eyes and ears a little better. Why should we be witnesses of dialogue? How about we should be witnesses to the truth, witnesses to the gospel, Dialogue, you can read as ecumenism, as compromise of your values for the sake of peace. But that kind of peace is the devil's peace. There's no, there's no compromising the truth, especially when you're dealing with the gospel, which is God's truth. Indeed, he said, by its intrinsic nature, humanity is not only capable of dialogue. Errant, wrong. We are sinful by nature. The heart is desperately wicked. Curses the man who relies on his flesh for strength. You're dead in your sins. How can you be capable of anything good without the Holy Spirit? That's interesting. You see how he subtly affirms this lie from the Garden of Eden? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, thank you, Pope. You're so nice and you're just so amazing with your wisdom. No, he's subtly affirming the lie of the devil. Every time he speaks, it's it's phenomenal. But you don't catch it if you don't have discernment. And you have to have Good discernment to see these things, because the way he speaks and the way these things are written, they just tickle your ears. But humanity is dialogue itself. What does that even mean? Do you, do you realize how he's putting humanity on a pedestal? What he should be doing, if he was truly representing Christ, is saying we should be witnesses of the gospel. People need to come to the truth because there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And the only way you are capable of anything good in your life is when you place your trust in him and he gives you the Holy Spirit. That's when you get a new life with new desires and you're capable of pleasing God and making better decisions. That's what he should be saying. But instead he says humanity is this amazing thing and we can rely on our own wisdom and we're, we're capable Do you see what what he's really saying? We have to have dialogue with the transcendent one. What does that even mean? Who is the transcendent one? Are we talking about Brahma, like the the Hindu god? Are we talking about Buddha? Are we talking about, you know, some new age concept? I mean, what are we talking about? Why don't you say Jesus? Dialogue with Jesus. You see, he has to say these things because he is working from an ecumenical perspective to bring the world's religions into one. And it will happen. Moving on, we still have something to read in this one. We need Judaism to understand ourselves better. Gosh, I love 
Gotta love that, man. Referring specifically to the Jewish-Christian dialogue, Pope Francis recalled that relations with Judaism are particularly important for Christians because, quote, they share Jewish roots. Quote, we need Judaism to to understand ourselves better, said the Pope. It is therefore important that Jewish-Christian dialogue, and again, you can read dialogue as ecumenism, Jewish-Christian ecumenism, should keep its theological dimension alive while continuing to face social, cultural, and political questions. What the heck does this even mean? I mean, whenever I read this stuff, I just want to pull my hair out. Like, what does this even mean? Let's One more thing, and then we'll comment on it. Jews and Christians linked to each other before the one God. Bringing his address to a close, Pope Francis reaffirmed that Jews and Christians are linked to each other before the one God and are called to bear witness to his word with their dialogue and to to his peace with their actions. Gosh, this the man of sin, man. I have so much to say about this. It's just, okay, first off, if you know anything about anything with Judaism, Judaism has nothing in common with Christianity. Nothing in common. Christianity is the continuation of the Hebrew scriptures. True biblical Christianity. I'm not talking about Catholicism or even Protestantism or anything else. I'm talking about true biblical Christianity as the way Jesus and the apostles left it in the New Testament. That is a continuation of the Hebrew scriptures. Absolutely. No question. It is a fulfillment of those things. However, you have to understand your history. When the Jews were exiled to Babylon, they their temple was destroyed. And so that's when they started forming synagogues and education schools and, you know, learning about the Kabbalah and all that Kabbalah and, and Zohar and stuff like that, the mystical texts, they come from Babylon. A lot of the Judaism today started in Babylon by oral tradition. And so by the time that Jesus came 500 years later, after the, the Babylonian captivity, approximately, what did you have? You had the Pharisees because they they created their own little sects. You had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, you had all these different groups of people that were, they didn't have anything to do with anything. They were just there as political rulers that were basically taking control of the system for their own glory. And now some of those people like Paul converted. Paul converted and other people converted. There were some other Jews and Pharisees that converted, but The ones who didn't convert remained, and those people sought to kill Christianity every way, which way that they could, if you know your history. And eventually, those people's traditions culminated in the Babylonian Talmud, which was written down in 800 AD. Prior to that, it was just a disorganized, clicky group of rabbis who were just basically this elitist power-hungry group of people that were, again, rebelling to the truth and keeping their own traditions. And so Judaism didn't actually start officially until the Babylonian Talmud was written, which was many centuries after Christianity. It splintered off as an oral tradition-based religion in Babylon. And so the idea that Judaism and Christianity are somehow linked or, oh, we need to, we need to understand Judaism. No, you do not. Judaism is completely backwards compared to the Levitical religion of the Old Testament. They have nothing in common. Judaism, first off, you need a blood sacrifice to approach God. You cannot approach God without a blood sacrifice, period. That's throughout the Bible, Leviticus 17. Christianity has a blood sacrifice, but our blood sacrifice is infinitely better than anything else. Because Jesus sacrificed once for all, and by placing your faith in that sacrifice, its value, its infinite value, is propitiated, meaning given to you, by grace. So you see, the problem is that the Jews abandoned their Levitical priesthood, obviously ever since the temple got destroyed, so they don't have a sacrifice. There's no way for them to atone. And even if they did, guess what? God's not going to accept it because the Messiah has already come and paid for the sins. If you refuse that route and try to do it your own way like Cain, 
then you will be judged. You'll be destroyed. And that's what history has shown us and it what, what's going to happen when Jesus returns. So for the Pope, who is, again, supposed to be representing Christ, to say we need to be, we need to understand ourselves better by learning about Judaism. I mean, it's just, it's an affront to God. It really is. It's an affront to the gospel. And he said some other things here. Bringing his address to Pope Francis reaffirmed that Jews and Christians are linked to each other before the one God and are called to bear witness to his word with their dialogue and to his peace with their actions. God, it just, you know when you talk to somebody and they beat around the bush and they never really say what, you know, what they really mean and you kind of know what they're saying? Like when you ever hear a politician speak, it just, you want to pull your hair out, man. It gets gets so frustrating because it's it's just breathing out lies constantly. First off, we are not linked to the same God. Jews do not believe in the same God that we believe as Christians. Biblical Christianity testifies to a triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you disagree with that, check out my Trinity series. You'll learn something, because biblical Christianity testifies to a unique and triune being who is Yahweh. And Jesus manifested that name through his incarnation, but he was always around. He's the second person of the Trinity. Jews, Judaism, doesn't believe that. They believe in a God, but their God is not the same for many reasons. Another reason is that they don't believe that the scriptures are completely inerrant. You know, the idea that the Protestant idea of sola scriptura and, you know, the Bible is this inerrant, inspired word of God, that's unique to Christianity, Protestant Christianity, actually, because Catholics don't believe that. They they believe in tradition more, just like the Pharisees. You see the problem? So there is really nothing, whenever you hear things like this or Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian values, you have to reject that. There's no such thing. There is literally nothing in common between these two paths of life. Judaism is antichrist by every sense of the word. Now, he also says, and are called to bear witness to his word. Jews are not called to bear witness to his word. Jews are called to repent and believe the gospel, just like everybody else. But you see what the Pope is doing? Do you see his snake talk? I really hope you do. I picked these articles out because not too many people are talking about this stuff. Probably like a handful of people on the internet. Just goes to show you where we're at in time with all the deception. But do you see what he's doing here? To call to bear witness to his word. He is uni- he's saying, well, the Jews bearing witness to the Torah through their tradition is the same as Christians bearing witness, you know, to the gospel. We're we're all part of the same family, right? The Abrahamic family house that the Pope put together with all the other religions to, again, bring people closer and closer to this one world reality. You have to start seeing that this is the mechanics that they're doing. They don't pick something that they can't rally around, which is Jesus, the gospel. They pick things that you go around Jesus. You don't have to deal with Jesus. You go with with Mary, with the Muslims. You go with Abraham, with the Jews, and peace with everybody. And as long as you don't, you know, approach Jesus or the gospel, you can slither around in darkness and do your dirty deeds. But again, it's, you know, it's just snake talk with their dialogue into his peace with their actions. So again, it's a workspace, workspace gospel. Workspace gospel that we're called to, to his peace. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? We're called to the gospel, people. And unless you stand for the gospel and you let this man slither his tongue in your ear and wash your brain, you're, you're not going to know left from right. Moving on. The Vatican's deep, deep Avali message, interreligious collaboration essential for peace building. <laughs> the dicastery for interreligious dialogue sends well wishes to those celebrating the feast of Deepavali and invites Christians and Hindus to join hands for peace. This is absolutely disgusting. I'm so disgusted just reading these headlines, but this one's just the feast. The feast of Deepavali, which is in, which in Sanskrit means row of oil lamps, celebrates the victory of truth over falsehood, light over darkness, and good over evil. What? Okay. 
well, let me just read this. And then, <laughs> so tempting to just go off on a tangent, but moving on. It is one of the most important Hindu feast days and is celebrated with lamps, fireworks, prayers, and large family meals. Vatican's message signed by Cardinal Miguel Angel Ayuso Guixote and Monsignor Indunil, whatever this name is, is a very long name, respectively Prefect and Secretary of the Dicastery for Interreligious Dialogue sends festive greetings and best wishes to all Hindus. May God, Supreme Light, it reads, illuminate your hearts and minds, bless your homes and neighborhoods, and fill your lives with peace and happiness. I am just... When you know the truth and you know where the world is headed, it's just it's just disgusting to see this because ultimately what is what is first off a festival that celebrates light do you know that the bible says that the devil manifests as an angel of light lucifer the light bearer what do these people believe in just because they're celebrating the victory of light over dark that means nothing that doesn't mean the victory of jesus over satan it just means the victory over Lucifer over the dark half of Lucifer. If you know the occult, if you know history, you know the history of ancient religions and fallen angels and all these things that have come into the world and all these occult beliefs and secret societies and blah, 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 can of worms that everybody can get into on their own. You know that when people are talking about, oh, the victory of light over darkness, what does that even mean? Are we talking about Jesus here? Or are we talking about the false light? that is coming into the world and will have its victory because people are thinking that the the real enemy is the deep state it's the dark it's the you know big bad boogeyman of communism and globalism oh my gosh and we the people are standing up and the light is going to win it's all about the light and you notice what they say may god supreme light does the bible ever say does it, the Bible ever call God the supreme light? That's just so weird to me. And again, they're, they're trying to get everybody used to this one idea. What does the Vatican have to do with a pagan holiday that is most likely rooted in the worship of the sun and worship of Lucifer in the background that people don't even realize? What is the Vatican doing endorsing such a holiday instead of proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Antichrist power on the earth, and yet anytime you say this, people will get so upset. So upset. This is Daniel 8, and is a very important passage that I want to read to you. In verses 23 through 25, and it's about this little horn power, which is talked about in several places in Daniel. And again, if you've taken my end time series, you know that the little horn power is not some future person, but... It is the papacy. It's the papacy that rules for 1260 years and gets a mortal wound like it did in 1798. It came back, the wound healed, and now the wound is healing spiritually as America builds the image of the beast. And when the image of the beast is done, which is going to be a Christian nationalist system, it's going to get exported through the rest of the world, probably through Trump and through all the you know conservative people that are now front and center in the alternative media, it's all shifting to the right because that was the plan all along. Dark to light. Do you see the whole point? It's a dialectic. But this is a very important prophecy about the little horn power. It's one of them. And take a listen to it in the KJV. Verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall de- and he shall destroy wonderfully, and he shall prosper and practice, and he shall de- destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace he shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And that's because... What's going to happen is the system will come to power. Mystery Babylon is not the United States, it's the papacy. And really, it's the final iteration of this system. 
where it will come back into power just as it was for over 1,200 years as a church-state system worldwide where the kings of the earth give their power to the woman, which is a church, riding a beast, which is a political system. Now, I've talked about this extensively in my end time series, so go check it out if this is news to you. But we have a few more headlines to check out. This one's about climate change. Pope Francis to visit Dubai for COP28 in early December. In the recent exhortation addressed to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis, the Pope warns that we are at a breaking point and that action must be taken before it is too late to protect future generations. Of course, we have to take action. We're going to read Laudato Si in just a minute, but I want to bring your attention to this again this false gospel the man of sin is always talking about. First off, the reason that this works in Catholicism is because Catholicism is synergistic. It's a works-based faith, meaning you have to do something and God does something. The gospel is monergistic, meaning God does all the work to save you and to keep you. Do you do things? Yes, you do. Are you given responsibilities? Yes. Do you make mistakes? Yes. Do you experience choices? Yes. But the gospel testifies to a predestined outcome, an outcome where God has an elect, an elect people that he's chosen to save, to reveal the truth to, to resurrect spiritually, because we're all dead in sin, and he preserves those people. Christ does not lose the sheep that the Father gave him. Another reason why you need a Trinitarian view of the gospel, because it makes you understand the gospel because the gospel is Trinitarian in nature. But nonetheless, if you're synergistic, you feel that you have to do something. And the lie of the Garden of Eden is a synergistic reality. You have to do something. It's all up to you, and it feels so empowering. Oh, man, it gets your emotions going. But you run up against a wall because you can't control anything. You're not God. You're not outside of time and space. And so it's a, it's a constant rat race that it puts you into where, of course, there is one person who's controlling you, and that's the devil. And this is exactly what's happening here. How you read this through, you know, you read between the lines is, we're at a breaking point, meaning we need to do this New World Order thing very, very soon. And climate change is going to play a very big part in that. And if you're not awake to that reality, that the climate change is being used to push people into this New World Order, then you will be deceived. Climate does change. The earth has its own patterns. But here's something to remember. Every time in the Bible that it describes weather or the flood or anything else, what does it say? Does it, does it paint the weather and natural disasters and situations as, gosh, these things are happening and they're man-made? Do you see the lie that it's affirming when you believe that? Do you see how absolutely evil and devilish this is. This is how they cast their spells, people. When you give your energy to this and you believe, oh yeah, man, man-made climate change, I guess we're doing something to affect the planet. You are now putting stock mentally, whether you realize it or not, in the lie from the Garden of Eden that God is not sovereign. Because the Bible says that God is sovereign over all things, including the weather. Every time there's been a disaster God is the one who decreed it to exist. If you look at judgments, if you look at God's the one who brings the rain, who takes away the rain. At the end times, there's signs in the sky, there's earthquakes. These things are not man-made. God is giving us chances to repent and revealing his power. The heavens declare the, the glory of God. Do you think that means just sunny days? No. It also means thunder and lightning. And hurricanes, God is sovereign over all things. He's completely and absolutely powerful. So when you hear the psalm that says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, that means everything declares his glory. When it's a nice day outside, it declares his grace and his peace and his love and his provision. When it's a hurricane and your part of town is getting some tornadoes and crazy things, it reveals God's power. And we should be taking those opportunities to spread the gospel and to remind people of the truth. But in, in the Catholic 
gospel and the Pope's gospel and the false theology that he's constantly spreading because he's the man of sin, he diverts your attention from that truth and puts it on you. He says, oh, it's man-made climate change. See, we have to do something. Stripping that reality from God, giving it to you, and by doing so, enslaving you into his agenda and using it as a pretext to take world control. It's absolutely evil. It is so evil and it's dressed in light, just like the person who is originating these things, which is the devil. But I want to read you from Laudato Si, which is the Pope's you know, big climate change thing. The first paragraph, literally the first thing, and of course, what you write first is the most important, so let's read it. Praise be to you, my Lord, in the words of this beautiful canticle, St. Francis of Assisi reminds us that our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us and who produces various fruit and colored flowers and herbs. If this doesn't boil your blood then you really need to study and show yourself approved to see what is going on here in this and what he's doing. He's he's the great usurper, usurping God's authority as the devil has done throughout all time, trying to at least, because you you can't actually do that, but he's trying to, under the guise of light and, and, oh, glory to God. Do you see what he's saying? Praise be to my Lord through our sister, Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us, who produces various fruit and color. Who sustains and governs you? Mother Earth sustains and governs you? No, God sustains and governs you. God is the one who gives life to all things, who gave the trees and the fruit trees and all the herbs and and leaves and things for us to eat and consume for our wellness and and well-being. But you see what he does? Praise be to you, Lord. But through who? Through our sister, not even through Jesus. So you don't even know what he's talking about here. But of course, he's diverting and casting a spell through his language, diverting your attention to Mother Earth. There is no Mother Earth. That's a New Age idea, which again, worshiping the feminine, that's Lucifer worship if you know you're a cult and all that other stuff. But this is the first paragraph. This is how he begins Laudato Si, which is basically the the main climate government, uh, the main governing climate document. Mother Earth is the one who governs and sustains us. If you still think that the Pope is the one that's here to represent Christ, then I got some news for you. (laughs) Vatican hosts roundtable on care for our common home. About 40 leaders representing faith, business, media, and government who are committed to constructing the economy that takes care of the environment, promotes peace, and advances the common good. There's another Jesuit term that you need to be highly familiar with. Gathered to participate in a roundtable discussion entitled, Care for Our Common Home, Building and Communicating an Economy that Promotes Sustainability and Peace. In other words, new world order. (laughs) Read through the light. See through the false light. Don't let it enchant you with its pretty words and pretty language. You need to see the snake behind the light. The Tuesday morning event was hosted in the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and sponsored by the Vatican Dicasteries for communication, for promoting integral human development. My God, just so much excessive language, excessive language, and you know that it's hiding something evil. But again, the common good, the common good. Who, here's another critical question. Put your critical thinking hat on. Here's the question. Who determines the common good? You ever ask yourself that? Who determines the common good? By what standard are we measuring the common good? We're certainly not measuring it according to the gospel, because the common good according to the gospel is that everybody learns the truth and is saved. That's not at all what's happening here. So who determines the common good? This is a Jesuit Catholic term. A militant New World Order, destroy many by peace type of term. The common good. Gosh, it sounds so good. We all deserve something, i.e. communism is what you should be reading when you 
see the common good, because the Jesuits were the ones who started communism through the French Revolution. But we cover that in the end time series. Pope at Angelus, may we be credible witnesses of the gospel. Gosh, that sounds great. We should be witnesses of the gospel, but let's see what he says. He concluded his remarks ahead of the Angelus prayer by asking the Blessed Virgin Mary to help us be credible witnesses of the gospel. Why does the Virgin Mary have to help you be credible witnesses of the gospel? That's the Holy Spirit's role. Let us turn to the Holy Virgin. May she who lived in integrity and humility of heart according to the will of God help us to become credible witnesses of the gospel. What gospel are you talking about? You talking about the real gospel? Because if you are, the real gospel says that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings everything to your mind, who testifies of Jesus, not Mary. Mary's dead. Mary is dead. She's not in heaven. She's not, you know, somewhere at the right hand of Jesus. That's all made up. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Mary is dead, just like everybody else. She's waiting to be resurrected, and she will be. And I'm sure that when she's resurrected, she might probably have a close place of honor next to Christ. Probably. I don't know. But she's certainly not in heaven at the right hand of Jesus. You see how they switch everything, create this false gospel? What gospel can Mary help you spread? What gospel exactly are we talking about here? Are we talking about a Catholic gospel where it takes sacraments to be saved and, you know, whatever else the Catholics believe in, purgatory, and the Pope is still selling indulgences, transubstantiation where you're sacrificing Christ every single Sunday? I mean... There's just so much to talk about with this, but this is a false gospel. But the Angelus prayer, what is the Angelus prayer? Let's see, what is the Angelus? The Angelus is a prayer with roots back to the 13th century. Is a Marian devotion. There it is, Marian devotion. And if you know anything about Mariology and Mary being actually Lucifer, gosh, that's going to piss off a lot of people. But listen, I mean, it's the truth. Look at, I, I covered this in my end time series. The appearances of Fatima, if you look at what was actually documented about them, that was either a demon or the devil himself appearing as an angel of light dressed as Mary and trying to get people to basically worship her, him, it through a false gospel. So this is, you know, these are things that, again, I talk about from hours and hours and hours and hours going down rabbit holes. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, you probably will be insulted by what I'm saying. Devotion that is traditionally recited three times a day, usually at six in the morning, at noon, and at six in the evening. Each, each recitation includes three Hail Marys with an antiphons or responses in between each. Gosh, that reminds me of something, and we're going to look at that in just a second. The genius of this devotion, especially in a place of catechesis like a Catholic school, is that it focuses on the incarnation, an, essentially, an essential mystery of our faith, and its practice mirrors its content. Oh, okay, so it's about Jesus, so it's okay then to pray some Mary prayer at 6 in the morning, at noon, and at 6 p.m. There you go. That's your formula for salvation. Now, let's let's see what's something that's interesting. Remember I told you that Catholicism started Islam? Well, here's one interesting little fact. Muslims are supposed to pray five times a day, at dawn, at noon, at mid-afternoon, sunset, and evening. Gosh, doesn't that sound familiar? Such an interesting little fact to put in there right next to the Angelus Prayer. Again, if you know your history, you know the Catholics started, not Catholic people, but the Catholic papacy. They propped up Muhammad. All the people surrounding Muhammad, Khadija, Waraka, Tamim al-Dari, who came up with Islam's version of the end times, which again sets you up for the Antichrist. Everything's the same. Everybody's anticipating this future millennial reign. No surprise. They were all Catholics. Bahira was an excommunicated Catholic monk who recognized Muhammad. So the Pope wanted an army to subjugate biblical Christianity where Paul evangelized in the Near East, where now it's all Muslim, but he wanted an army to subjugate those people and to take Jerusalem. Of course, that didn't work out. And as usual, God brings up an empire to judge another empire. And Islam was brought up and judged the papacy. Of course, God let them have Europe. But the Islamic you know, caliphates almost took over Europe. So the Crusades were launched in response, killing lots and lots of people, millions. 
and just as mother of abominations of the earth. Same with communism. If you know your history of the French Revolution and how that led to communism, how the Jesuits propped up the communists, but then the communists got out of control, so they propped up Hitler, dark versus light, and so on and so forth. This is just how things work, people. And again, these are not very popular opinions, so make sure you subscribe. You never know if I'll get banned on YouTube. But this is Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8. Very important verse. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, i.e. pagans, do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. These are words from Christ himself. So much here. First off, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Why? Why does your Father know what you need before you ask him? Why? What is the answer to that? Because God is completely sovereign. Synergism is a lie. In a world where God predestined prophecy, where he predestined the cross, where he predestined all of these outcomes, you do not have room to have libertarian free will. Now, for some people, that may annoy you or trigger you or think that somehow that's evil or wrong. But I lovingly encourage you to think very critically about how the Bible can have hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, many of them about Christ, all predestined. The cross was predestined. And there's any room for man to have sovereign, autonomous free will. You do not have that. The Bible's authors, the Old Testament and New Testament, did not believe that. They believed in a completely sovereign God whose will would stand, and we are participating in that will and discovering it. We have our own choices in lives, but we are not sovereignly in control of anything. We're not able to make choices free of influence. But if you've been sold that idea, you have to do something, right? Because look, the gospel says God is the one who preserves you because he's the one who chose to save you. He doesn't change his mind. But if you've bought into the serpent's lies, then you are joining every other religion on the earth. If you can lose your salvation because of free will, then you have to work to maintain your salvation. You see how this works? If you can't, if God is working to maintain your salvation and you have faith in that, which is what the gospel tells you, then you have eternal security. You have peace in your salvation. But because Catholics do not have eternal security, they have to do all of these things. You got to pray at six and then at noon and at 6 p.m. And there you go. And you got to do these little rosary beads. And if you do it this way, then, then God's going to hear you and he's going to do something. Then you're righteous. There's nothing different between that and every single pagan religion in history. And it shows. And the Bible commands you against it. Christ warns you against it. Do not heap up for yourself empty words and phrases. Don't pray like the pagans. They think they're going to be heard for all of their mantras and repetitions and, you know, bouncing back and forth. Look at the Jews today with the Wailing Wall. Look at the, you know, the Indian mantras. Look at the New Age affirmations. Oh, I am wealthy. I am wealthy. I am wealthy. I am peaceful. Like, it's all the same stuff, people. It's all just the Babylonian mystery Babylon religion. It's all going to come to a head very soon. Here's one on Christian Zionism. My goodness, I had to pull this up because there's just so much right now with the Israel thing. Stand up with us. Stand with us. Christian outreach calls on churches to sign support for Israel. Stand with us. Christian outreach and the Stand with Us Center for Combating Anti-Semitism urge churches worldwide to stand in solidarity with Israel and the Jewish people. What about the other people that are dying? In light of the brutal world war... First off, it's not a world war, but it's a war. See how they're already programming you with what's going to happen, what they want to happen at least? That Hamas, an internationally recognized terrorist organization, has initiated against Israel in which terrorists have massacred over 1,200 Israelis, which included decapitation of babies, which I guess I heard this story wasn't legit, but anyway. Injured over 2,600 and kidnapped over 150, numbers that continue to rise as the victims have been found. What about the 10,000-plus children and teenagers that have been killed in Gaza already at at the time of this recording? What about those people, huh? I guess they don't matter, huh? It is imperative that Christian communities show their support both for people in Israel and for Jewish people around the world. 
This is particularly necessary in light of the growing campaign by anti-Israel organizations to rationalize and justify these inhumane barbaric attacks. Lest there be any confusion, this is not a matter of politics. Yes, it is. It is a matter of humanity, specifically Hamas's blatant and callous torture, murder, and kidnapping of human beings, which is horrible. Horrible, but doesn't exonerate the other side. We ask that your church and or school sign the following statements to express unwavering support, not just support, but unwavering support for the state of Israel and the Jewish people, both inside and outside of Israel. My goodness, if, if you agree with this, you are seriously deceived, my friends. If you agree, let don't let this stuff deceive you. Do not have identity politics. The Bible does not call you to identity politics. Identity politics ended with the New Testament. But dispensationalists and evangelical Christians who are Christian Zionists because they're dispensationalists believe that we got we got to stand with Israel. Israel's got a special plan for their salvation. These are lies from the devil. Dispensationalism is evil. It's unbiblical and it's just wrong. I have a video on that, a short video, 30 minutes. Go watch it. If you want the full gory details, go watch my series. I criticize and debunk dispensationalism, especially throughout the series, especially the episodes like the, the Third Temple. And, you know, the first nine episodes of that series are talking about everything to do with all this stuff. And you'll learn very clearly what the Bible teaches because it's obvious. But again, if you don't have discernment, if you're easily triggered, if you're easily fooled, if you haven't really consulted your Bible, then you'll be easily deceived by these things. Why should we support the state of Israel? The state of Israel has had its hand in so many intrigues. The USS Liberty being sunk, the 9-11 catastrophe. Not a popular opinion, but it's true. All of these things, people don't have any clue when they say, oh, you can support, why should the church support the state of Israel? Again, there's no relationship between Judeo and Christian. But if you aren't awake to these things, you will be convinced that you are doing God a favor, a service, by doing such stupid things. They're very, very stupid. And it's sad that so many people are deceived by these things when literally there are probably by the end of this tens of thousands of innocent lives going to be murdered in Gaza. I do not support either side. I don't support Hamas. Absolutely not. I don't support Israel either. I also don't support United States going over there and throwing a bunch of innocent lives in combat to defend Israel. Why? Let them handle it. You've given them billions and billions of dollars every year for the last how many other years? Europe has given Israel billions and billions of dollars for the Holocaust, which, if you know your history, we'll just leave it at that. One more, just to kind of top things off. This is from the New York Post. Devil Comet, three times bigger, gosh, sorry for these ads, than Mount Everest explodes, now heading towards the earth. Dun, dun, dun. Let's see what they have to say about it. As if things didn't seem apocalyptic enough already, scientists report that a horned comet three times bigger than Mount Everest exploded and is hurtling towards the earth. Now look, I'm just going to say this because this is a whole can of worms and it's very controversial. But like with anything of the truth, all things are always controversial, right? There is no such thing to worry about of a giant devil comet coming to destroy you because God's cosmology is very, very different than the Vatican's cosmology. If you weren't aware, the cosmology that the the world believes in, most of the world, it I should say today, because it wasn't that way for thousands of years, but today, the cosmology of today is a product of the Vatican. It is a product of the papacy, really, because the Vatican wasn't official until 1929, but it's a product of the papacy. If you look at the last 500 years of famous astronomers, they're all Catholic. If you look at the inventor of the Big Bang, it was a Jesuit. If you look at the influence of Jesuits in physics and science, like cosmology science, 
very high influence, the most influential. If you look at all these things, you see who is behind this lie. Now, there's a very important reason why this lie exists. Because if you knew the truth about the earth and the system that we're in, the realm that God created, it would first off testify to him because God is very close and intimate in this system. But in the lie, the the papal lie, the lie from the Garden of Eden, really, the devil's lie about cosmology, God is nowhere to be found. He's either extremely far away or nowhere to be found. And you are in constant fear of alien invasions, meteors, comets, climate change, overpopulation. All of these things are big, bad boogeymen to scare you. And then when you're scared, you're more likely to adopt measures for world control. Climate change is such an agenda. All of these comets and asteroids and things, it's all part of the agenda. Now, do I believe that, I don't put it past them, let's put it this way, to create something where, okay, there's some giant explosion that happens and destroys a a part of the world or a city because, quote unquote, a comet or an asteroid hit that city and use that as a pretext for more global climate change or whatever else. Yeah, I could see that happening. If an alien invasion happens, which I'm still waiting for, because that's supposed to be the final trick, but whether it happens or not, you should know that there's no such thing as aliens. Little green men from Mars. There are fallen angels, and the governments of all the world, especially the United States, have been in cahoots with these demonic beings, receiving secret knowledge and creating technologies because of that and using occult rituals and occult rites to channel new knowledge and information into whatever they're doing. And those beings, when they had their heyday, they were controlling mankind in the same way. So again, if you know your history, things are not what they seem. So do not be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear, right? but of sound mind, of love, of courage, of understanding. And so that's why these things are just ridiculous. And of course, you can see from the language, if things aren't apocalyptic enough, again, this is all just to prime you. It's to prime the world into, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, which it is. But most people aren't aware of the end times prophecies and the way that they should be interpreted. And so when you go read it, you read about this comet, let's say you're Joe Schmo, you don't really know about anything about the end times. And then, gosh, that makes you afraid. Maybe I need to learn about the end times. Maybe it is the end of the world. Maybe it is the apocalypse. Let me go read. Well, 90% of the things on the end times that you read are Catholic eschatology, futurism that was developed by Francisco Ribera, a Jesuit, and Cardinal Bellarmine, another Jesuit. And so you read about that stuff. Maybe you become a dispensationalist and you become a Christian nationalist or a Christian Zionist or whatever you fall right into the trap of the beast. So do not let yourself be deceived. Do not fear when you see such things because first and foremost, anything that happens, a sign in the sky, a natural disaster, an earthquake, any such thing is something that God decreed to happen. That's number one. We do not cause climate change. There's no such thing. The world has its own patterns and systems And God is in charge of that. And of course, we are at the end, and the Bible says there will be many signs in the sky. There will be, you know, natural disasters. We should take that as an opportunity to spread the gospel and to remind people of how they have fallen out of relationship with God, with their creator. But we shouldn't start to globalize everything and say, oh gosh, you know, everything is is our fault, so we need to have more regulation. We we all come together and make a, a treaty around this climate change stuff. This is destroying many by way of peace, which is what the Bible warns you. So I hope today has given you some discernment. Hope these articles have perked you up a little bit and given you some things to think about because most people, like I said, are not talking about these things. They're not because they're deceived and I don't want you to be deceived. So if you haven't yet, go check out my end time series www.danceoflife.com slash endtimes and stay informed, stay subscribed you can also find me on Substack I'm over there but ultimately look study to show yourself approved 
because what is coming on the horizon is like nothing that the world has ever seen and many will be deceived and i hope you're not one of them god bless hey thanks for being here if you enjoyed today's show make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you want in-depth bible studies free resources encouragement or if you just want to get in touch with me check out danceoflife.com until next time god bless